Woke up quick at about noon. And welcome into the Wednesday, May 20th edition of the podcast with Amy Barling, presented by Vibe Health Bar, three locations, East Sacramento, Oak Park, and Folsom. You can also get them through your favorite delivery app, your favorite food delivery app, Grubhub, Postmates, DoorDash, all of that great stuff. Appreciate you so much for tuning in. Episode 201 doesn't have the same luster as episode 200, but we will absolutely celebrate the one-year anniversary of the podcast Coming up on June 3rd, I'm looking forward to that. Got a lot I want to share with you there uh, on that day about the future of the podcast, about the future of, of all of our different endeavors. I uh, dropped a wrestling edition of the podcast over on patreon.com slash Damian Barling. You can check that out. Go to DamianBarling.com. Click the Patreon button in the upper left-hand corner. Uh, we'll dig into some of the topics on that here uh, in just a little bit. We got to start with... You know, the fallout from the last dance continues, and I didn't realize until yesterday that Scottie Pippen has not made a public appearance since the documentary started airing five weeks ago. Uh, he's a pretty regular on 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 uh, on the jump on ESPN, and I, I honestly... You know, full disclosure, I, I don't really know what that show looks like right now, given that the end of the world has taken place and there have been no sports or anything like that. Uh, I'm not sure if that show airs every day or in what form that it airs, but I know that Scottie Pippen used to be a big part of it. Uh, and I and I had no idea that he hadn't spoke publicly uh, since this documentary started airing. And, you know, I remember we talked about after, I don't remember what episode number it was, whether it was the first week or the, the, the second week or whatever, but I, I do remember thinking, man, they, uh, yeah, they kind of portrayed that migraine game a little bit weird. And I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. Perception is everything. It just, I thought Michael's response to it was weird. And, and, and Michael, you know, Jordan's response could have been just a, it happens, you know, it's just one of those things you just got to deal with. They're hard to push through, whatever it may be. But it didn't come across like that. It just came across like, I don't know, like they were doubting him or like they, they thought he was soft. That's the only, you know, that's, I thought that was weird. And then, the you know, the Tony Kukoc play, which, you know, that's, that that's a whole, I mean, the Scotty's got to own that one. There's just no, like you can't, there's really no like way around that. Scotty's got to own that one. Um, you know, not coming in, not playing. And, it, you know, he, he acknowledged that. And uh, from what it sounds like, he acknowledged it. And, and they, you know, dealt with it in the locker room where it should be dealt with. And they were able to move on from it. Um, other than that, like, I didn't, I didn't think Scotty was, you know, portrayed wrong. I thought particularly there in the last episode, you know, him, him, you know, talking about I was a decoy through the whole game. I could I could barely move. I I, I thought he was portrayed like I, I don't want to say heroic, but I mean kind of. I thought he was portrayed in a pretty positive sense there in the final two hours of of, of that documentary and really you know focusing on that last uh, that championship in 1998 where he got hurt uh, near the beginning of the game. I th I thought he was portrayed well, but you know in totality, I don't I don't really know what Scotty you know looks like in this documentary. Maybe. Maybe there's a gripe that maybe there's a gripe that Scotty wasn't given enough love for how good he really was. Um, I think Scotty's one of those weird characters in the NBA where he's just kind of he's not lost in history. He's obviously a big part of history. But I think Scotty is kind of one of those weird what if cases. Like like what if Jordan was around? Like how good 
is Scottie Pippen. Like there are some people who say, yo, Scottie Pippen is great. And there are some people who say, yeah, Scottie Pippen was great, but he was great because he was with Michael Jordan. Um, I don't believe that Scottie Pippen was great because he was with Michael Jordan at all. But I, I, I do think that that's a question that people ask is like, how good was Scottie Pippen really? And he's just a, he, he had his story because he played alongside the greatest for, you know, his greatest run. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to pinpoint where Scottie Pippen's place in history is and appears uh, that we now know Horace Grant's place in history. And that is in the pissed off wing of the history books. He appeared on ESPN Chicago yesterday to talk quite a bit about the last dance. And I, I stated to everybody, that is a, a downright, outright, completely lie. Lie, lie, lie. And as I stated, if MJ had a grudge with me, let's settle it like, man, let's talk about it, or we can settle, settle it another way. I have never seen, quote-unquote, a number two guy as decorated as Scottie Pippen portrayed so badly in terms of the migraine, in terms of the 1.6 or 7 seconds. Selfish. I, I have never seen this in all of my life. When that so-called documentary is, is about one person, basically, and he has the last word on what's going to be put out there, it's not a documentary. It's his narrative of what happened in the last quote-unquote dance. He said, I was a snitch. But yet and still, after 30 or 35 years, he brings up his rookie year going into uh, one of his teammates' room and seeing coke and weed and women. My point is, why in the hell did he want to bring that up? What's that got to do with anything? If you want to call somebody a snitch, that's a damn snitch right there. 90% of it was, I don't know if I can say it on air, but BS. It wasn't real because a lot of things that he said to uh, some of his teammates, his teammates went back at it, but all of that was kind of edited out of the documentary, if you want to call it a documentary. It's only a grudge, man. I'm telling you, it was only a grudge. And I think he proved that during this so-called documentary when if you say something about him, he's going to cut you off. He's going to try to destroy your character. Charles Barkley, they've been friends for over 20, 30 years, and he said something about Michael's um, management with the Charlotte Bobcats or the Charlotte Hornets, and then they haven't spoken since then. So <laughs> that was Horace Grant again, ESPN Chicago yesterday. Uh, there's a lot there. Uh, there's a lot to dissect. Um, let's start with my poor job in getting into the clip. The thing that Horace Grant was referring to when he said lie, lie, lie was one of the actual only revelations I think that came out of the document documentary was they were talking about Sam Smith's book, the Jordan rules, you know, which came out in 1992 or so. And he says it's a downright complete lie that he was, that he was uh, the leak, that he was the source of the book. And what was what's interesting that Horace Grant doesn't acknowledge there is Jordan's not the only one who said it. Like, I, I, I th was it Bill Winnington? Like, someone else said it on camera that Horace Grant was the one, you know, feeding all of the information. And now maybe maybe that, that came from Jordan. Maybe Jordan was the one who, you know, told everybody, like, Yo, Horace Grant was was the source behind uh, uh, the Jordan rules or whatever it may be. Um, but that's what Horace Grant was referring to when he said that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. 
the other thing it's worth mentioning, Sam Smith, the book, The Jordan Rules. Boy, it's amazing how that I remember reading that book when I was younger, you know, reading that book when I was like 13 years old thinking, this is terrible. Why would this guy write this about Michael Jordan? Well, we know we, we know why I would write it because it all happened. But I, I heard Sam Smith I, and I'm, I'm pretty confident it was with Dan Patrick. They, you know, he asked him, Dan asked Sam Smith, like, how, you know, how truthful do you think the documentary is? Like, how, how, how real do you think this is? And Sam Smith had a, it's a tremendous line. He said, you know, this, the last dance is based on a true story. And I thought, oh, that's, that is a really, really good line. And this is a guy who's lived through it. Like this, this was a guy who was on the beat with them for a very, very, very long time. For him to say, you know, this is like, yeah, like the stuff that you're watching is based on stuff that really happens. But is it the 100% truth? No, it's not. And I don't know what documentary airs that is the 100% truth. I, I, don't, I don't know where you can get like the full story. I mean, I was watching uh, I was watching Dark Side of the Ring last night on Owen Hart. And I know enough about the Owen Hart story to know like, yeah, that was... There was a lot in there, but it wasn't like the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And it's it's difficult, even in you know eight and a half hours. You've got to you've got to decide what direction you're going to go. And the Bulls or the uh, the producers went with the direction of we have this footage of the Bulls. It's never going to get released if we don't frame this in a way that the guy in charge of the footage is going to allow us to. To, to, to use it. Like, we have to frame this in a way that he's comfortable with. And, I mean, that's the, you know, that's the dangers. It's the thing I said about Lance Armstrong. Uh, Lance Armstrong, you know, in that, in that trailer that they aired for this upcoming 30 for 30 that they got on him. And, you know, the first thing I see from him is, this is the truth as I remember it. It's like, okay. Well, you've, you've given yourself an out right there because if someone says to you, well, that's not true, that's not what happens, he simply goes, well, that's what I remember. That's how I remember it happened. And, I, I you know, I didn't think Jordan was portrayed like, you know, it's not like he had a halo over his head through the last dance. I, I didn't think he was portrayed horrible. I do remember, you know, the interviews leading in to the last dance and him talking about, I'm worried that people, you know, people are going to think I'm an asshole coming out of this. And meanwhile, it's like, it's like, I... I'm sorry. I'm not. I know this is a broken record, and I need to say this in a more creative way. But what did we want from it? Like, what did we want to learn out of this documentary? There was really no new information in this documentary. Most people aren't even buying the pizza story, uh, and I don't know why they would lie about that. So I'm. I'm not going to say that the pizza story wasn't real, but. I don't know why people would lie about it. People want to say that Jordan was drunk, dude. Why would he? Why would he drink to that level uh, before the night of a, a an NBA Finals game? That that goes against every nature that that is him. And it, it it's not. I don't equate that to to the gambling thing in Atlantic City. That's not. That's not even remotely the same thing. Because he can go out and gamble like Jordan gambling till five six in the morning, going to shoot around at eleven and playing a game that night. Those stories have been told forever. Listen to some of the Dream Team stories about how they would stay up and play cards till 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. All the other guys are crashing. They're exhausted. Uh, you know, Jordan hops in the shower, gets his practice clothes on, and they go to shoot around. They go to practice. 
I, I know the Dream Team isn't the same competitive nature, uh, you know, that the, the, the day-to-day grind is on the NBA season, but you get, I'm, I'm trying to establish a pattern of behavior here. So I don't, you know, nothing came out of this documentary. Like I, you know, I, again, except it was enjoyable to watch. It was great to see those highlights again, like people who are, you know, all up in there. So this is just confirmation that Michael Jordan is the greatest ever. Like, man, sit down, calm down. Calm down, because this whole di- this whole thing would be framed differently if 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 life as we know it hadn't come to a screeching halt on March 11th. If the NBA season was playing out and this documentary was going to air immediately following the NBA Finals, can you honestly tell me that the perception? And I'm not talking about your perception. I'm talking about the overall perception. Can you honestly tell me that it wouldn't be different? If LeBron James had just won the NBA championship with the Los Angeles Lakers, if LeBron James had just had one of those, you know, superhero 38, 10 and 9 uh, averages throughout a, I, I don't even, I don't know what the more impressive story would be a four game NBA finals or a seven game NBA finals or a six game NBA. Hell, I don't know. But if the NBA season ended, with LeBron James holding up that Larry O'Brien trophy. And then a couple of days later, this documentary started. Don't you think it would be perceived a little bit differently? Like we were starving for content when they said that this this documentary was going to air. We needed something. And we got it. We got Michael Jordan. We got one of the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. But I think our perception of it is, is, is a little bit different. I think our perception is a little bit different. The only contemporary he has right now is LeBron James. So, you know, there could have been, I mean, and, and you know what? It, it could have been received even more different if, I don't know, the Raptors or the Celtics or someone had beaten the Lakers in the finals. Or if the, if the Lakers didn't even make the finals, if the Clippers had won the finals. Oh, it would have been, you know, trash LeBron for six, seven straight weeks. Now you're just forming opinion. Now it's recency bias. It's like we just we 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 just watched something to remind us that Michael's great. Nothing in this documentary showed us that, oh, Michael's actually better than we thought he was. Like, no, he was he was great. He's always been great. If you think he's the greatest, he's always been the greatest. Like none, none of that changed after this eight hours and forty six minutes. And if you were actually influenced on your opinion on Michael Jordan for the last eight hours and 46 minutes, then you probably didn't live through his era in the 90s. You see, you know, that's it's why you got to stay off social media, man. You realize social media is just everybody's idiotic thought and it's typed out in real time. Like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't type. See, I told you Jordan was the greatest because you look pretty fucking dumb right now. Like, yeah, Jordan is great. We all knew Jordan was great. But nothing is as good nor as bad as the last time you saw it. What if the season comes back right now? And the last thing we see is LeBron James holding up trophy number, what would it be for him? Four? Trophy number four? Be finals appearance what? I'm I'm, I'm seriously losing track. Is it 10? Does it change your mind? It'll change some people's mind because it's the last thing that they saw. Things are never as good, nor is never they're, they're they're never as good, and they're never as bad 
as you last remember. The last thing you saw is never as good and it's never as bad as you remember. It's just not. Like, we think the Kings were going to win the championship. Why? Well, the last we saw of them, they were on a pretty decent run. They were playing pretty good. Well, let's not ignore the previous, let's not ignore the previous, like, 45 games that took place. But that's what we remember. It was the last thing that we saw. But hearing Horace, you know, it, 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 it'll, be, uh, it'll be fascinating to follow, you know, who has a gripe with the last dance. Obviously, Horace Grant. The, the second Horace Grant was called a snitch, it was like, oh, okay. I'm anxious to see where this goes. And Horace obviously left the, uh, he left the Chicago Bulls. He went to the Orlando Magic, that whole deal. And, okay, there's, there's obviously some underlying stuff there and oh they carried him off on their shoulders and all of those different things like all right that's fine but the snitch thing that was like oh that it if you want to create a column of stuff that we learned i i didn't know that i didn't know horace grant was horace grant said he wasn't but I, i i didn't know that that the members of the chicago bulls and again i can't remember if it was bill wennington i think that's who it was but someone else said uh, Horace Grant was the one given the information. I don't know if they if they determined that because uh, Horace was was close with Sam Smith. Uh, I, I'm I'm not really sure how they determined that it was Horace Grant, but they did. And Horace says it's a it's a downright outright complete lie. Horace is a little hood too. I learned that during the uh, I get <laughs> again rank something we learn in the in, in the column of stuff you learned is Horace is a little hood. I didn't know that. Still a big dude too. Looks like he's in looks like he's in pretty good shape. Um you know, we were talking the other day is we'll we'll stick with Michael Jordan here for a few minutes. By the way, that um oh, what is it called? Game six, the movie. The the they they they've kind of re edited game six in kind of a cinematic way that includes footage from you know this NBA entertainment library that brought us uh the last dance. Uh, that airs tonight on ESPN. I believe it starts at 6 o'clock our time. Uh, so that is uh, Game 6, the movie, on ESPN tonight. We were talking about important athletes, and I made the remark on Monday that Michael Jordan is you know, probably the most important athlete uh, in the history of, of sports, certainly the most important athlete to basketball. And we've had a couple of uh, a couple of you, a number of you, uh, have checked back, and there are a, a couple of names I wanted to bring uh, to people's attention. Naman brought brought Wayne Gretzky to my attention, and Wayne Gretzky, and and I thought that was a I thought that was a fascinating name to throw into the mix because we were talking about the importance uh, to their sport and how that you know translate across translates across the board, and Wayne Gretzky is certainly almost indescribably important to hockey. But the problem with hockey for me was or is hockey is still the fourth most popular sport of the four major sports. So it was hard to kind of, it it, it was hard to put him in the mix. It was hard to look at like, okay, he was, he was a needle mover like within hockey. You know, like Jordan was a needle mover within basketball, but it spread far beyond basketball it brought in new fans I mean did Wayne Wayne Gretzky definitely brought in new fans to the NHL I just don't it wasn't enough 
to make the NHL a bigger, you know, a bigger platform than it already was. Because I'd argue when Wayne Gretzky, you know, was at his peak, hockey was still the fourth most popular sport in the four major sports. Uh, Adrian texted me last night and brought up Muhammad Ali, and I thought that was an interesting one because we, you know, in so many lists, when you create the, you know, the greatest athletes of all time, or you know, I guess in our case, we were talking about the most important athletes of all time. Uh, Muhammad Ali's name is always at the top. And, you know, there's two different ways that we have to break this down. Muhammad Ali and his importance to boxing. And this is back in a time where boxing was really important. And the difficult thing in you know, 2020 or, you know, in recent years and any year moving forward when evaluating Muhammad Ali is remembering how minimized he was in the 60s and 70s. Remembering that he was the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, he was stripped of the title, you know, threatened to be thrown in jail, thrown into exile, basically, from boxing. And the sport, you know, the sport went on, and the sport went on to, to, to hit huge heights. Because, again, this was a time, and I know for, for some of you, hell, it's even getting harder for me, but, 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 but for some of you, you know, younger listeners... Believe it or not, boxing was a thing. It wasn't a freak sideshow with uh, boxers and MMA fighters. Like, it was a real, real thing that mattered tremendously. Being the heavyweight champion of the world was a big, big deal. You know, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, you know, you like those are, you know, those are, those are, those are names that mattered once upon a time. You know, even into the 80s with, with Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, those are, that's it. You know, there's a reason that Buster Douglas is still so known. There's a reason that Buster Douglas, you know, even with the, the odds being, making it the biggest upset of all time, there are, there's a reason that most people still consider, you know, Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson the, the biggest upset of all time because they remember where Tyson was and, and we were still at a point where boxing mattered. The boxing the governing bodies, if you will, they hadn't fallen apart yet. So boxing was still a big thing when Muhammad Ali was in exile and then he was brought back. And here's the thing that you can't forget. Here's the thing that's really important when evaluating Muhammad Ali's importance to boxing and, and Muhammad Ali's importance overall is the world has done a magnificent job of re, you know, kind of reshaping history as it pertains to Muhammad Ali. It's similar to what they've done with Dr. Martin Luther King. You could put both of these guys in the same exact category because both of them were hated. There, there, there weren't warm, fuzzy feelings about what they were doing. There wasn't this big movement that what the, you know, the stand they're taking is, is correct. There, there wasn't this, this, this big, oh, Dr. King, he's fantastic. Let's name a holiday after him. Oh, Muhammad Ali. Let's, let's, let's make every list and put him at the top of it. No, it was... F both of them. And so Muhammad Ali's story has been completely reshaped over time. It's been reformed. A lot of the ugly stuff we try to, we don't want to, we, we, we don't want to tell people about that. Because, you know, we often use the term right side of history. And I've always said this regarding Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick's story is going to be different in 10 years because it's going to be reshaped. And it's going to fit uh, a narrative in 
what you're in 2030. There's going to be a narrative in 2030, and they're going to be able to take what Colin Kaepernick did, and they're going to be able to reshape it. And oh man, Colin Kaepernick really was a hero. It's because it's, it's essentially what happened with Muhammad Ali. Of course, he, he he you know his was behind the backdrop of a war that most of America was just vehemently against. But I thought I thought Muhammad Ali, in terms of the most important athletes, was was an interesting name to bring up. I think there's two categories here: the most important athlete, period, and then the most important athlete to their sport. If we're gonna break it down to the most important athlete to their sport, is Muhammad Ali more important to boxing than Michael Jordan is to? basketball which was the conversation that we had back on Monday I'm gonna have to say my answer is no I still think Michael Jordan is more important to basketball than Muhammad Ali was to boxing now if we remove the to their sports part and we just say who is the most important athlete of all time then perhaps in that sense it's it's Muhammad Ali perhaps and I would have to think long and hard about it before because I'm not just willing to concede because everybody else concedes. It's Muhammad Ali because you'd have to ask someone, like, why? Why is Muhammad Ali the most important athlete of all time? And there's, there's, there's a number of things that you could say as it pertains to that. You could talk about, you know, the stand that he took as an athlete, as a black athlete. Uh, you could talk about the political fallout from that. Um, and you can talk about how the story from him after it was determined when the world determined oh look he's he was right all along let's let's kind of whitewash history here and reshape it for him to make him look better and then you got jordan who who and, and, you know jordan had help like jordan wasn't the first i think there's a, a very fair argument that that magic and larry were first like they st- they basically started you know this 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 snowball they kind of you know, they were pushing it downhill, and that bad boy was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, you know, Jordan in 84, leading into 85, 86, 87, it started an avalanche. Leading in, I, I mean, I think it really, it, you know, hit a hit a, hit a a stride in 88. I think it was 88, the, the All-Star game in Chicago. And then 92, when the Dream Team went to the Olympics. I think that's where we start to hit like different levels of this Jordan phenomenon. But I thought those were two really good responses. Um, you can always respond to me um, whether you think I'm on point or full of crap. 916, and normally it's full of crap. Uh, 916-888-5898. That's our 24-7 text line. You can connect anytime right there. 916-888-5898. You can also connect on DamienBarling.com. Uh, where you could become a Patreon, you could get exclusive podcasts, including the wrestling edition of the podcast uh, that I dropped yesterday, exclusive for Patreon users. There are different tiers that you could be a part of. Be Conscious returns next week. Uh, I'm excited about that. I've kind of laid out what the format of the new version of Be Conscious is going to be. I've started to work uh, to book guests uh, for future episodes as well. So, uh, very excited about the return of that podcast and uh, the doors uh, that that one opens up. So uh, if you're interested and, and be conscious and the wrestling edition of the podcast, those are exclusive uh, to Patreon. Those are two of the three podcasts that are exclusive to Patreon subscribers. Uh, the other ones will be uh, Sacramento Kings related when Sacramento Kings basketball returns. And... You know, that no updates on, on basketball today. And I don't imagine we're going to have any update for, I mean, it's May 20th. 
I don't think we're I don't think we're going to hear anything for for a month. I really don't think we're going to hear anything from Adam Silver until you know yesterday. You know we talked about Texas, you know, Florida's already open, Arizona's already open. You know California starting to look at June. Uh, Texas was looking at the end of May. What was the other one? New York. So we're we're looking at major states that are cracking open up the doors a little bit for for sports and. This isn't an accident. They're not doing this on their own. They're, you know, they're being talked to, whether it's by people in the NFL or it's by people in the NBA. Uh, if we get to the point where all 50 states are giving the thumbs up, I would expect uh, an announcement from Adam Silver. I wouldn't expect one before then, but it, 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 I'm, I'm starting to get the overwhelming feeling that basketball is returning. When this all started, I had the overwhelming feeling that basketball wasn't returning. I had the overwhelming feeling that basketball wasn't returning. Uh, now it's very much in the other way. I think basketball is returning, and I still don't think regular season games are happening, though you can, you can make one argument to me that I would listen to, and that is if you play enough games, if you make it five or six, teams like the the Kings, the, the, the Trailblazers, um, maybe the Pelicans, I can't remember exactly where they were, and I think the Washington Wizards on the Eastern Conference side, they have a, a you know a fair chance. It's it's certainly not what it was before. It's not making up three and a half games in eighteen or nineteen games, but it's it's an opportunity to potentially make up a you know a couple of games in in a five six seven game stretch. Um, I I think that's a horrible horrible idea. I think it should just be the sixteen teams that are in the playoff position. But the one argument that you can make that I would listen to is. The league might want the playoff teams to essentially have, for them, what would be preseason games. They want guys to get back into the flow of basketball and don't want the first live basketball game that's back to be a playoff game. Just just a thought. I still don't think it's the, the right approach here, but um, point being... We might have some Sacramento Kings podcast coming <laughs> coming up. We may have some Sacramento Kings basketball returning for for a very limited time, but we'll we'll see. I I, I just don't believe that that's the right approach, and we'll we'll see what they wind up doing. Uh, but if you but 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 you could make that argument to me. You could make the argument that you don't want uh, your top teams the first games that they play after. Uh, I mean, there's no way they're playing before July, right? So at that point, what are we talking about? Four months? That's like saying we're going straight from training camp into the playoffs. Like I, I don't think the NBA wants that. I don't think teams want that. I think it would be the smart thing to do because now you're asking the Warriors, hey, come back for X amount of time. You're asking you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the New York Knicks, hey, come back for X amount of time. I don't know, man. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how this all plays out. I mean, we're not in charge. Neither is Adam Silver. Neither is Gavin Newsom. Neither is Governor Greg Abbott. None of them are in charge. The coronavirus is in charge. They're, they're, the coronavirus is in charge, and uh, our responsibility uh, plays a major factor in how this thing goes over the course of the next couple of weeks, or maybe more importantly, our lack of responsibility uh, will play a major factor in how this uh, plays out over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, so again, you can get those exclusive podcasts uh, uh, on our Patreon account. Go to DamienBarling.com and click the Patreon button or just go to Patreon.com slash Damien Barling. Uh, one of the things that we talked about on the wrestling edition of the podcast yesterday was the just the sad story about Shad Gaspard and uh, his disappearance. 
uh, this past weekend. Apparently, he was out at, um, I don't remember if it was Santa Monica or Marina del Rey, or, you know, they were, him and his family were out at, at, at a Southern California beach, and uh, it, I guess I guess the the tide was was hitting pretty hard. It was so hard that there were a number of swimmers out, and lifeguards just like they they just hit the waters and started pulling people back. And uh, one particular lifeguard on his way out, he was he was trying to grab um, Shad's son. And then swim out and and grab Shad as well. And Shad was just saying, "Just get my son, get him back to, you know, get him back to shore. Just get back, get back." And that's what the kid did. And apparently, the lifeguard, you know, I don't know if you've ever Shad Gaspar is a big ass dude, man. You know, he's a former professional wrestler. Um, he he's he was a he's he's a big boy. So the the and the kid is I, I guess he was like a, a high school kid. And they made this they they you know he 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 saved his son, got him back to. Got him back to shore, turns around, starts to swim back out. A big uh, wave hits where Shad can be seen. He goes under and he doesn't come back up. Like they're never able to find him after that. And to this moment, they haven't been able to find him. And they have suspended the search for him with the belief that he's gone. Uh, and that's that's just uh, that is just a brutal, brutal story for so many reasons. Uh, Shad Gaspard, you may remember wrestling fans. He was a part of the, the tag team Crime Time, which is a that is a gimmick that I absolutely hated. Just beyond description, I hated it. Like I hated Vince McMahon to his core for that. And Crime Time is one of the reasons. Crime Time is one of those. They're one of those things where I watch. It, it made me wonder, like, why I support this company. They have never, I, at least in my experience watching wrestling for the last 35 years, no exaggeration in that statement, I've watched wrestling since I was four years old. I don't ever recall a disclaimer being aired before a, a team debuted or an individual character debuted. This is a company that portrayed necrophilia one time on their television broadcast and didn't air a disclaimer. But before Crime Time appeared, I, I searched this out so I could read it to you verbatim. This, it, it, this is how much I hated this tag team. This disclaimer aired the night they d- debuted. Tonight, a new tag team, Crime Time, will be introduced to the Raw audience. In an effort to humor and entertain our fans, the tag team, known as Crime Time, will be parodying racial stereotypes. Shad Gaspard and JTD do outlandish, outrageous stunts to ready themselves for tag team action on Raw. This attempt at Saturday Night Live-like humor is bound to entertain audiences of all ethnic derivations. Is that the word? Derivations? Uh, We hope you enjoy the weekly adventures of Crime Time. A good way to explain Crime Time to older people Older audience members, remember in Living Color? Remember the Homeboy Shopping Network? I say, yo, homeboy, what? I say, yo, homeboy, what? Yeah, that was crime time. That was essentially crime time. I hated that gimmick from start to finish. I know they got a nice little rub. They did, you know, they got really popular, by the way. I still hated it. I absolutely hated it. I thought it was gross. And 
it's not Saturday Night like Live. Like as much as Vince McMahon wants to, we make movies, pal. As much as he wants, you're a fucking wrestling company, and your superstars are the only individuals. Because like when someone runs into Chad Shad Gaspard or JTG, or someone runs into John Cena or Charlotte Flair, someone runs into AJ Styles, or the Undertaker at an airport, they're running into. Chad Gaspard and JTD and John Cena and Charlotte Flair and The Undertaker. They're running into those individuals that they see on television. It, it, you know, the, the, the simplest way that, that I've tried to describe this before to people, when you, you, if you meet Al Pacino somewhere, you, you're shopping at Whole Foods in Santa Monica and you run into Al Pacino, you're not running into Michael Colleone. You're not running into the coach from uh, 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 any given Sunday. You're not running into um oh what was it what was the the mobster the 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 teamster's name that he was in um uh, the Irishman the guy who disappeared Hoffa you're not running into Jimmy Hoffa you're running into freaking Al Pacino you're running into the guy that plays that character and the problem with wrestling this weird dynamic with wrestling is we acknowledge and we understand that what we're watching is entertainment we acknowledge that what we're watching is nothing more than a television show with outlandish characters however we don't separate the character from the real person so if we see AJ Styles at you know the airport we see AJ Styles the wrestler if we see Mark Calloway at the at the at the airport. We see the Undertaker. Same thing with John Cena. Same thing with, you know, the Bray Bray Wyatt. Like, hey, that's Bray Wyatt. That's the Fiend. It's the same, it's the same guy. That's, that's that's who it is. We we run into him. That's that's who we ran into. It's it, and so when you have a team that is as stereotypical as Crime Time was, it's hard to differentiate. Like Shad Gaspar doesn't appear to be anything. Like the character that he played on television. But it's difficult to differentiate those two. Because that's you, you you don't do that in wrestling. There is there's there's little to no separation between what you see on television and the real life person. I mean, it's you know, the the rock is probably a unique case study. I don't, I don't know when he stopped being recognized for being the rock and started being recognized for Dwayne Johnson. Whether it was, you know, whether it was, you know, Disney movies like Game Plan or whether it was children's movies like The Tooth Fairy or whether it was, you know, GI Joe or or Hobbs from Fast and the Furious. But it, but but if you recognize him as Dwayne Johnson, that's who you recognize him as. You don't recognize him as Hobbs or, you know, the, the, the guy from skyscraper or, you know, the helicopter rescuer guy from San Andreas, you don't, you don't recognize him as any of the, you, you recognize him as the guy who played that character. But in 1998, you know, when I'm, when I'm flying to Las Vegas, it wasn't Dwayne Johnson that came, you know, walking through the airport. It was the rock. When I saw The Rock in 1997, when I saw him again in 1998, I was seeing The Rock. I wasn't seeing Dwayne Johnson. And, it, and that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an issue that only seems to exist in, in wrestling, which is why characters like this are so freaking offensive. But I shouldn't be surprised WWF has done this forever. WWE, they've, they've done this forever, dating back to you know, crap like Coco Beware and 
you know, and, and, and Coco Beware existed before the WWF. Don't get me wrong. This, this isn't just a Vince McMahon problem. This is a professional wrestling problem. Uh, Vince McMahon is just one of the only guys who hasn't gone away from it. Like, it was 1998 when Goldust, he was, he was now known as the artist formerly known as Goldust. It was like the character Goldust had broken, and he had gotten crazier than he originally was, and he was now the artist formerly known as Goldust. He showed up in blackface. Now, not, not blackface like the nation of, not, not like blackface like DX did with the nation of domination, but yeah, kind of like X-Pac did, where his, like, I'm talking his face is painted black. This is the same company that had Roddy Piper paint uh, half his body black for one of the WrestleManias, like WrestleMania, I don't remember, eight, maybe? No, it wasn't eight. What, what, what WrestleMania was that, where he wrestled Bad News Brown and half of his body was black? Maybe it wasn't a WrestleMania. And when he would turn around, he'd be like shucking and jiving. This is the same... This is the same company who I believe they have gone to extensive lengths. They used to have, they used to come out with videos like, like the, the wrestling album. And they came out with an album called Powell driver. And with the, with, with the album came videos and slick. Y'all remember the, the, the manager slick slick had a video. It was called jive soul bro. Okay. That it was actually a remake of an old funk song, but it's, it's fine. Jive soul bro. You can find that video on YouTube without a problem. You, what, you, what you can't find is the video in its entirety where the first two minutes of the video before the music starts is Slick sitting in a Kentucky Fried Chicken just chomping down on fried chicken like there's no tomorrow. That's the beginning and the end of the video that WWE has managed to remove uh, from YouTube. I believe I have one on a hard drive somewhere. If I can find it, I'll post it on, I'll post it on Patreon or something like that. But yeah, something else, man. Again, it, you know, not not new. This has existed in wrestling forever, and it it seriously it makes me wonder why why I continue to support it. I still get enjoyment out of it. I guess that's the that's the problem. Or I, I used to. I wish I still did. Uh, I don't quite as much. Watching wrestling has very much become a become a chore, uh, as anyone who listened to the wrestling edition of the podcast yesterday will tell you. By the way, I mentioned The Rock. Uh, we're approaching the 21-year anniversary of Owen Hart's passing. They aired a dark side of the ring on Owen Hart last night. The first time I met The Rock at Arco Arena, it was an on-sale date for... Uh, for for a Monday Night Raw, uh, I met The Rock alongside Owen Hart. They were both members at the time of the Nation of Domination. I have, yeah, I've got an Owen Hart autograph up here somewhere. I have the the two magazines that I got autographed by uh, with The Rock and Owen Hart. I met them uh, the the same day uh, at Arco Arena in the ticket sales office, and that and they were they had a table set up there in the ticket sales office, and man, it was a hell of a those those on sale dates used to be something, man. Holy cow! Uh, it was packed at the arena that day. Um, is that it? Oh, what else do I have here? Oh, I got in trouble yesterday. I got taken to task yesterday by 
former lowdown producer Chris Verlod over my take on un- Uncut Gems, the Adam Sandler movie. So I'm going to go, he, he was just insistent that I didn't get it and I didn't understand it. And the movie was about destiny. And you know, no matter how hard you try to do the right thing, it's just, you can't do the right thing. And it just, it just, even when you do the right thing, it catches up with you in the end. And like, all right, man, like that movie didn't work for me. I remember sitting down thinking, I, I, I remember my first feeling when I started watching it was it started mid movie. That, that was my first thought as I, as I started watching it. It was like, it's like it just picked up in the middle of the movie and I've got to put the pieces together myself. I, I, I don't know. I thought the movie was bad. And I'm not grading on a curve because Adam Sandler didn't play an idiot. I'm not, play, I'm not grading on a curve because he wasn't funny or because he was stepping outside the realm of what he normally does. I'm not doing that. I didn't think the movie was good. So if... 916-888-5898, connect on social media, whatever. Am I wrong about this movie? Is Uncut Gems actually a gem? Is it a great movie and I just missed it? I Do I need to re-watch it? Like, first of all, I'm not re-watching it. I remember thinking that as I'm watching this, like, Jesus, just get this freaking movie over with. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed something in it, but it just didn't. It didn't. You won't believe the other argument I got into last night. With, with, with my best friend, we, we, I don't know. I don't even know how it came up, but here we are in May of 2020. Somehow a Colin Kaepernick argument started and about, about, he was talking about how he, you know, the reason he's not in the league. Oh, I think we were talking about black quarterbacks. That's what we were doing. We were talking about how black quarterbacks and whether, uh, it's dangerous for black quarterbacks to embrace being black or, uh, they just, don't focus on being like Russell Wilson. I don't think people acknowledge Russell Wilson as a black quarterback. And I don't know that people acknowledge black Patrick Mahomes as a black quarterback either. And you, the, the, the discussion kind of started how, you know, maybe Patrick Mahomes doesn't hey, same with Russell Wilson. Maybe neither one of those guys that maybe, you know, that maybe they're proud of their blackness, but they don't embrace it. Maybe they're, they're proud of their blackness. They're just not like, black power or anything like that. Like you, you don't have to point, you, you don't have to bring attention to the fact that you're black. Like we know that my question was, does the NFL try to ignore it? Do NFL writers try to ignore it? Do NFL fans try to ignore it? They just not because you either have to be cap, you know, with an Afro and your fist in the air, or you have to be Lamar Jackson where you're, you know, you're, you're black with braids and it can't be ignored. And even, and you see what happens when that's the case. You see what type of season he had. Oh, that, that dark football blends in really good with his skin there, pal. And gosh, you can't even, you don't even know if he's got, what a play action that is for gosh sakes. That, that was something that was actually uttered this year. Oh, between the jersey and the skin and ha ha ha. Man, what an advantage those colored guys have. Ha. Jeez. Like that <laughs> that's what happens when you're in the NFL. That happened this year for God's sakes. I don't know. I thought it was funny. I I thought it was funny that yesterday's podcast ended with me getting chastised through text uh, about my take on a movie being wrong and then my day somehow ended with a freaking argument about Colin Kaepernick. That's my life, people. That is my life, and I appreciate you so much for sharing uh, it with me, and I thank you so much 
uh, for tuning in today. Again, 916-888-5898. You can connect with anything that we talked about here on the show through that text line. Uh, and, of course, our Patreon exclusive programs live for you over on Patreon.com slash Damien Barling. Or, easier to remember, go to DamienBarling.com and click the Patreon button in the upper left-hand corner. Have a fantastic rest of your day, and we will see you here tomorrow on the podcast with Damien Barling.